But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Before we uh, dive into our passage this morning, I've got a question for you, uh, and it's to see how many of you paid attention in Sunday school. Now, you didn't know you were going to get quizzed today, did you? Uh, what is the name of this parable? Can anybody tell me? The prodigal son. That's pretty good. Uh, does anybody know what prodigal means? Can anybody tell me that? Wasteful. Good. Okay. So you're all, you're all way far along, uh, a lot further along than I was. I had no idea. Now, I heard this story in Sunday school growing up, and I always thought that the prodigal son meant somebody who was, you know, reckless, partied like a rock star, uh, you know, kind of wicked, who was the person… You ever see those, um, those uh, documentaries behind the music of like 1980s rock bands, you know, where you see what they're really up to in the green room? That's what I thought a prodigal was. I didn't know that a prodigal could mean uh, generous or unsparing. Uh, spendthrift. And so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to that because I've got one more question for you this morning. And here's one where you're going to… I'm going to put you on your toes because you all nailed that last one. What is the actual title of this parable? Can anybody tell me? I'm going to give you a hint. Jesus actually gives it to us at the beginning. You can, you can look at your notes. This is an open book. That the real title of this parable is The Tale of Two Sons. To borrow from Charles Dickens, there's two of them. Uh, and the reason I bring this to your attention is because there's an act one and an act two in this story. And so I want you to look back at your passage with me because there are many of us who straddle both sides of this, and we're going to really dive into that. Look back with me at uh, verse one at your passage. And I, this, this kind of sets the scene, this sets the tone for why Jesus told this parable, right? All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, what's happening here? You know, Jesus is, Jesus is welcoming the undesirables into His midst, right? He's welcoming um, maybe the gamblers, the addicts, maybe the homeless. He's welcoming prostitutes. He's welcoming tax collectors who are the worst of all, right? Because they would extort their own people to get money for the Romans. I mean, these were, these were wicked people. But Jesus was welcoming them to Himself, and the religious elite were looking at the people He was associating with and saying, what are you doing? Can you believe this man hanging out with the riffraff? It's unbelievable. And so Jesus sees what's happening, and He ends up telling a series of three parables, and this is the third parable that He tells, the man who had two sons. And this is what Jesus says. He says, there's a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, this is problematic, and I can tell you why, right? I mean, you can probably figure that out. The younger son is going to the father and saying, I want my inheritance now. I want it early. And yes, that's just as insulting then as it would be now. Uh, many of you have kids, right? Do you, you have children? Uh, imagine that your child goes to you tomorrow, or maybe picks up the phone and calls this afternoon and says, hey, listen, Pop, uh, you're living a little too long. I'm tired of waiting for you to, you know, kick the bucket like time's a ticking here and I have stuff I want to do. So can you just give me what's mine now? And we can just kind of, you know, wash our hands of this whole relationship thing that we had going on. You know, you go your way, I'll go my way. 
Would you receive that well? What do you think? Sure. We'll just, you know, we'll just cut this off, take what you want, and go. No, of course not. It's insulting. And it's even more problematic back then because assets weren't liquid like they are now. It was tied to the land, the family land. You all follow me on that? I mean, for you to get your inheritance early would mean that you would have to sell off the land that was actually bringing money into the family, sell off the livestock that was, again, producing for the family in order to send someone on their way. I mean, that's why they practiced uh, primogeniture, right, where the, the eldest son gets the bulk of the wealth, so it didn't just dissipate as they had kids. You all follow me on that so far? Well, this is, this is, what, this is something really significant about this. Look, look back at your text with me. Uh, verse 12, Father, give me your share of the property. And then it says, and he divided his property between them. That second use of the word property in the Greek, that's the word bios, as in biology, as in life. See, the father isn't just dispensing with some money. He's dividing his life between his sons. This is an astronomical request. It is unbelievably insulting, unbelievably presumptuous, but the father does it anyway. The father lets his son, the sinner, go his own way, and like many young, uh, young adults or young kids right on the cusp who want to go out and prove themselves in the world, right, the son goes off to do exactly that. I need to show that I'm, you know, I need to make something of myself. I need to prove myself. Are you all familiar with that desire? It's the same desire we have today, right? I ended up moving to New York. I was, I was completely stereotypical in that, so there you go. But, there's, you know, there's that age where you get to around 20, 21, 22, where you need to make something of yourself. And so um, he goes off to do exactly that, but he crashes and he burns. He blows through all the money. He's got nothing left, and a famine strikes the land. Well, he's in a difficult spot. You all follow me on that? He's in a difficult spot. And he ends up feeding pigs. And that's really rough. Has anybody ever been to, I think you call them pig farms, right? Has anybody ever been to a pig farm or driven by a pig farm? You know how terrible they smell? It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. I was, um, I was on a family vacation, golly, what was it, over 20 years ago. Um, and we were all driving in a conversion van uh, for one of those, you know, because we used to drive around America. That was kind of my dad's way of taking us vacation, and we loved it. And uh, my youngest brother was about one year, one year old at the time, you know, when they're in diapers, they can't talk yet, sitting in the car seat. And we drove by a pig farm, and we're all, you know, holding our nose, oh, that smells terrible. And my brother is very confused. He, uh, he kind of looks around confused, and he starts trying to lean in his car seat to kind of smell himself to see if he, uh, if he was the source of it. I thought <laughs> So funny, I had no idea. So, so again, pig farms are really terrible, right? I mean, it, it, it's a horrible place to be. And it's even worse if you're a Jewish person because pigs were unclean, right? They were, they, they were unclean in a religious sense, in a ceremonial sense. I mean, to be a pig farmer was the actual lowest that you could possibly go. And, and so he's hit rock bottom, right? He, he was a total and complete failure. And even worse in that culture, he brought shame to his family name. He brought shame to his family name. He went out there and he hurt his family's reputation. And I want to pause here a bit because I want to ask you if you've, if you've ever been in that situation. Have you ever been a youngest son? 
Have you ever been extravagantly wasteful with the things that have been given to you? And I'm not just talking about money. Some of you are very good with money, but you know what you're really bad with? Other people's trust. People have put their trust in you, and you broke enough promises to them, and you deceived them enough times, and you betrayed them enough that you were wasteful with what was entrusted to you. And there were some real damages because of that. Some of you have been wasteful with the relationships that, you've been, that have been put into your lives, either through neglect or through carelessness. The people that God has put into your lives to care for have been shunted off to the side because you're too busy or uninterested. And so you were wasteful with what was entrusted to you. Some of you have been wasteful with grace. Someone gave you a second chance and then a third chance. But you kept using up those chances, and you ended up squandering it all. Y'all follow me? I mean, we could go on and on. There are so many things that, that many of us have been entrusted with and we weren't good stewards, and we weren't good managers, and we blew it. And it's a miserable place to be. Would you all agree with that? Rock bottom is a miserable place to be. But the younger brother doesn't stay there. Let's look back at our passage in verse 17, if you would. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? And here I am dying of hunger right? He's, he, he came to himself. This word in, in, in the Greek, it's the same as our word of repent. He came to his senses. I mean, this is a really good thing. It's actually a wonderful word to describe that, right? Because in order to repent, in order to come to your senses, you have to be willing to see your faults and your flaws. Anybody, anybody ever give a shallow, I'm sorry, without taking full ownership of something? You ever do that? I'm sorry. You ever receive that from somebody? How'd it feel? Was it good? Was it satisfying? Would you call that repentant? No, of course not. But this younger son comes to his senses. He sees the damage that he has caused, and he's willing to take full ownership of it. There's no blame shifting. There's no, um, you know, yeah, Dad, I blew it, but if you hadn't given me the money in the first place, I wouldn't be here, right? He doesn't do that. Yeah, Dad, I blew it, but if there wasn't a famine, I'd be fine. Y'all follow me? Like, again, he takes full ownership of this. That's, that's incredibly significant for repentance. This is what, and he starts rehearsing the speech that he's going to give to his dad, which, by the way, imagine how he's feeling right now. He's got to go back to the dad that he spurned in order to beg from him. It's not a good place to be. So he starts rehearsing the speech, right? And this is, this is the speech that he's rehearsing. You know, he says, you know what I'm going to say to him? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me like one of your hired hands. Treat me like one of your servants. And so, he goes to his father, and he's willing to make full restitution, right? He says, treat me as one of your… He says, I'm willing to work for you. I'm willing to pay back what I robbed from you, right? He's willing to pay, pay it back, make restitution. And he says, you know, I've also damaged the family name, so don't give me your title. I'm no longer part of the family. I blew that, right? He's, he's not asking to, to be restored. Y'all follow me when I'm saying this? This is, this is real repentance. And so, he goes back to his father to work for him as a servant, but Jesus says, the father sees him when he is a long way off, picks up his robe, and runs to him. And you have to imagine being the youngest son, right? Like, you've hit rock bottom, but now you're about to go 
you know, you're about to get it. If the dad even accepts you, if the dad even brings you in, you're set up for a lifetime of servitude when you should have been part of the family, right? But, but because of your own faults, you didn't do it. And then you see a Middle Eastern patriarch, a Middle Eastern father run towards you. Well, that's not a good sign. Would you agree? He's like, he couldn't even wait for me to come to him. He's going to come out, and, and we're going to have words. So you can imagine the younger son seeing the father run out and, and is just kind of bracing himself for whatever comes. He's, you know, again, he's got that speech in his back pocket. He's ready to go. He's like, okay, I know what to say. I know what to say. Let's get through this. Well, what's the father do? The father runs up, and he embraces the boy, and he falls on his neck, and he kisses him. And the son doesn't know what to do with this, right? And so he goes right back to that speech, right? Look, look with me back at the text. He says, you know, he gets a hug, but he's still just like, well, uh, you know, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and before you. He goes into his or her speech. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father cuts him off right there. Doesn't give him a chance to finish. He says, you know what? Get my son my ring, which is a symbol of my authority. Get my son the best robe, which we reserve for dignitaries, and put sandals on his feet because he is not a servant, and only sons and daughters wore sandals. He, he doesn't even give him a chance to finish his repentance. He, he pulls him in, and he holds on to him, and I think that that's truly remarkable. And you say, why is that remarkable? Isn't that anything that any good parent would do? What's remarkable about his response? Well, I'll tell you. I've only been a priest for um, a couple years now, and, but I've seen something that I've noticed in my, in my ministry, and it's that people very rarely understand the joy of God in your repentance. You know, when we pronounce absolution up here after the confession of sin, how many people receive that as the loving arms of the Father with joy? How many people are smiling or are inwardly lit up by knowing that you've been accepted? Y'all follow me on that so far? This is what most people do. They, 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 they do one of two things. Either they look at God and they say, okay, well, God doesn't really care about my sin that much. You know, He's not grieving like a father would. He's not hurting for me when I'm hurting myself. He's just a kindly grandfather in the sky that kind of, you know, blesses, every, you know, blesses everything I do and is like, it's fine, just boys will be boys, you know? Y'all follow me, right? You know what I'm talking about? You don't imagine that God actually grieves for your sin. And so when you, you know, so when you get, um, so when you receive forgiveness for that, it's kind of like, He doesn't really care anyway. Or, or, you imagine that God is standing up there as a disciplinarian and looking down at you with contempt and disgust. And so that when you, you know, come back to grovel for repentance, He kind of stands over you like this, right? And He's just looking at you like, yeah, sure, you know, you repent, but you're going to pay for that, right? You're going to pay for what you've done. Y'all follow me so far? You all with me on that, how we can think of Him in two camps? Very rarely do we receive the full warmth and acceptance and embrace of God who, yes, grieves for our sin and hates our sin, not only because of what it does to us, but does to those that we care about, but is at the same time willing to wrap us up in His embrace. I mean, look back at verse… If, if you get a chance, open the Bibles and look back at verse 10 of this chapter when, when Jesus says, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Did you know that? There's a party in heaven when one person repents. That's a big deal. Amen? Now, what about the older brother? Now, see, this is why, this is, 
Uh, this, is, this is why I know that we call the story the prodigal son, because by the time the preacher gets to the older brother, right, we're out of time, right? It's like, well, let me give you some bullet points about him. So, so we really focus on the younger brother. And I'm kind of going to do the same thing, but, I, but it's really important for us to understand the older brother even for a second. And do you know why? Because if you manage to get yourself to church every Sunday and prioritize coming before the Lord and prioritize this time together, there's a good chance that you might be tempted to be an older brother. Y'all follow me in that? I mean, if you're here, that means you're not at the bar, right? Amen? There's a chance you're an older brother. And so we really have to understand briefly what this older brother's experience is. So what, so what happens with the older brother? Well, he's out in the field working late because that's what the older brother does, right? The last one in the field works hard, is responsible. And when he finds out there's a celebration and that his brother's involved, he's incredulous and he's angry. Because here he had been slaving away, working all of this time for his father, and the younger, reckless one just gets grace and welcomed in? What's the deal with that? How is that fair? And so he goes to the father, and what does he say to the father? Basically, he says, look you. Now, is that a kind and loving relationship? Do you think he has a good relationship with his father? He says, look you, I've been slaving away for you in the fields, and you didn't give me anything. And now this this younger one is coming up, and you're just going to welcome him, and you're going to accept him? You see, the older brother has revealed his heart, hasn't he? Hasn't he? He wasn't serving the father out of love and affection. He wasn't serving the father because he knew it was the right thing to do, and he found joy in doing the right thing, was he? He was a resentful rule follower. Do you all know the type? I can tell you, if you're not the type, your spouse is, right? One of you is going to be the younger brother, and one of you is going to be the older one. Um, he was a resentful rule follower. And, and this, is what, this is how resentment grows. Resentment grows when you want to do what other people are freely doing, right? You actually want to do those things, but you lack either the courage or, um, you know, you, you lack the opportunity to do that. It isn't that you hate their sin, it's that you wish you could join them in it, but feel restricted to do so. You'll follow me about that with resentment? It's when you want to live freely, but you just, you just can't let yourself. And so you become bitter and resentful. And th- here's how I know this. When you're doing something you enjoy, do you resent other people for not doing it? Anybody here play golf? Uh, I played golf on Friday. Um, and by that, I mean I think I hit the ball twice. Uh, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a, a great time. Um, if you're doing something that you enjoy, bridge, golf, um, fishing, time with friends, like whatever, whatever it is that you enjoy, do you resent other people for not joining you in that activity? No, of course not. Who cares? You're doing what you want to do. But if you're doing something that you hate, well, Anybody else who isn't living exactly as you do should be punished for that. Amen? That's the sign of an older brother's heart. You see, neither of them had a true love for the Father. Father Rodriguez brought this up, and I thought that was a wonderful point. You know, the younger brother wasn't able to receive grace, but the older brother wasn't able to give it. Both of them were lacking something significant. 
And so the older brother looked at him, and he despised his father and had contempt for his brother, which is exactly what those Pharisees were feeling as they saw the sinners gathered around Jesus. Amen? But you know what? Jesus is gentle with them too. I'm going to wrap up with this. Let's take one last look at our text. The father said to him, the older brother, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. He says, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. You, you are my son. I would not despise you for him, but he's, he's, he's one of you. He's your brother. You know, God takes the role of the father in this story, but do you know, do you know who has the role of the older brother for us? Jesus Christ. Let me explain this this way. Um, for the younger brother to come back into the family, it cost the older brother something, didn't it? It cost him something, because everything that was left, the older brother took, you know, took his portion, and he ran off, and he squandered it. But for him to come back into the family, that debt had to be paid. And guess who had to pay that debt in the parable? The older brother, didn't he? Because everything left was his. Well, praise the Lord that Jesus Christ does not look on us like this older brother looked on his younger brother. Because we would be in a lot of trouble if Jesus said, okay, I'm going to have to pay a cost to welcome them back into the family. Thank you, but no thank you. But that's not what he does, is it? Jesus is the older brother who's willing to give everything for the sake of us reconciling with God, of being brought back into the family. And so I would encourage you, when you receive forgiveness of sins, receive them with joy. Recognize that you're being brought back into the family of God, and out of the gratitude of your hearts, let us give thanks to Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that there is no one in this room who has fallen so far, who has become so wayward that they are outside of your reach, that there is nothing that anyone has done that you would not welcome them back to yourself if they would but turn and repent. God, I pray for those of us whose hearts have become hardened by following the rules and forgetting the reason that we do so is out of the love and joy and gratitude that we have for you. I pray that you would soften our hearts to those who are struggling and that we would be excited and encouraged to welcome them back into your family. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.